All right. Hey, good morning, The Exchange. In my mind at home, why don't you just give it up for Jesus, give up for the worship team really quick. You can do that. You can do that. Hey, um, good morning. We're in Hebrews chapter 12. If you would turn there, that would be awesome. Hebrews 12. Um, we are out of chapter 11, our little series on faith, uh, faith that changes the world. And now we're entering the Hebrews 12, really the, the theme for our Hebrew series, so I'm so excited for today. Um, as you're turning there, let me just share a couple quick thoughts, um, some results from the survey, things like that. So Hebrews 12, Hebrews chapter 12. Um, we recently passed on a survey. I think we had about 100 people, if not a little bit more now, uh, fill out the survey. So thank you, thank you for doing that. Uh, we were really trying to get a gauge on where people are at mentally, emotionally, spiritually with opening up, we want to do it well. I, I want to share a couple things about that because um, obviously, just like right now, you know, people have a lot of opinions on just how to open or when to open or should we even open. Um, let me just say this, you know, we know that first and foremost, um, we know that this virus really has caused a lot of pain. We know that there's people, been people from our community whose family and loved ones have passed away from COVID. So we want you to know that we take this extremely serious. Um, we want to be wise. We want to be thoughtful. We want to be intentional. Um, we want to do this with wisdom, of course. And at the same time, we want to give that option for those who don't feel comfortable to still have online services. But we do feel that need to, you know, come together eventually. So we're still praying through how that will look, where that will happen. Um, there's still some things we want to do. We're, we ordered a lot of supplies, cleaning supplies, masks that we'll give away if someone possibly doesn't have one. We really want to do this very well. Um, so let me just say that we thank you for your feedback. And also, you know, I could tell in some of the tone, uh, there's obviously people who are, they feel very strongly about this both ways. And know this, our heart's not to move in fear by any means. And our heart is not to just force an opening. An opening. Our heart is to do this well, do this considerably, thoughtfully, prayerfully, and to really um, give an opportunity for both people who want to gather and people who still have the need or need to stay home. We still want to do both well. So we're praying through that. We're looking at that. Would you just join us in prayer as we're praying for that for our church? Um, it's been 23 weeks now, 23 weeks of doing a, an online service. Um, and so we just really feel the need that it's time to, to, to eventually get back together. And we're talking to other churches. We're talking to other leadership. We're praying through it. And we'd ask just for your prayers in that process. So we'll hopefully have an update for you the next week or so about what that will look like for us. But know we're going to do it with wisdom. Know that we're going to do it with grace and love. Know that we're going to consider others above our own needs. My prayer is that Philippians 2 would just be like the leading verse in this, which is have the mind of Christ and have humility, um, that we would not do it with arrogance. We would not do it thinking of ourselves and no one else. We really want to do this well and do this out of love. So that's our hope. Um, we are in Hebrews 12. Uh, I, I know I've mentioned that. Um, we just finished the Hall of Faith. Let me just share something with you guys. I think that fits well with our church. Um, I think specifically this last week was a very emotional week. I know for me, for maybe many of you, um, you know, in our small little church, we've had, we, this weekend, yesterday, there's a, a marriage that took place. Uh, it was beautiful. Today, there's another marriage happening, another wedding ceremony happening today. Um, we know there's been a couple losses this week. You know, I want to share briefly, maybe some of you saw on my social media, but there's a man, a part of our fellowship, is just a beautiful man who loved the Lord. His name is David, uh, David Gangy. And we just want to um, lift up the Gangy family. He passed away this Tuesday. And um, 
Man, I want to share briefly just my interactions with him. I met David a couple years ago. We we're in the Gospel of Mark, and he was listening to a sermon on Mark 10. He came in first weekend, and we were talking about the rich young ruler. And that weekend, he, he shared with me that he, he's like, I'm all in. I want to live for Christ. I want to give my life completely to Christ. And uh, I've had some of the best and most life-changing conversations with David. David was diagnosed with cancer a few years back, and um, been walking that process here in South Florida, just getting treatment. And um, man, Jesus so grabbed a hold of this guy's life. Um, he was a part of our small group when he could, when he could be. He, we would see him and go to his house for, for dinner. And I just want to say this, we, we, um, we so value what the Lord has done in his life. We so love how Jesus has just used this man to bless so many of us. Whether or not you knew David, he's a part of our community, part of our church, and he's a blessing to so many. And there's a side where we're like desperately hurting and we miss him, but we also uh, know that there's, not, there's no more pain and he's with Jesus. And it, to me, it's very fitting where we just finished this chapter on the hall of faith. And here's this guy who so walked by faith. He would, he would just tell me all the time, just I, I just want to see Jesus be with Jesus. I love Jesus. I know what he's done in my life. Everything I've ever lived for doesn't matter compared to Jesus. And um, he was a, an example to me and so many others. So we're praying for his family. We love you guys deeply. Um, he's gonna be greatly missed. But we know that he's with Jesus. He had a very unique faith. He had a very bold faith. He knew that though he dies, he shall live. And on Tuesday when we were praying over him, he he passed away as we were praying over him. And it's one of those, one of the most divine like moments I've ever had. And I just really do believe um, the Lord was just taking him and he's, he's with the Lord now and we love this guy. And I'm, I'm sharing this because in our smart church, I know we're not together. I know it's hard when all these things are happening. We don't see each other week after week. But if you would just pray for our church, pray for the grief, the loss, the mourning that's been happening, pray for the people who are getting married and, and new beginnings. And there's just a lot still happening. We still want to be involved in each other's lives. And I want to say this, I'm just so proud and, and blessed by our church. I've seen you guys deliver groceries, bring by flowers. I've seen you guys give in unique ways. I mean, God has just been so good. So well done. Uh, it's a privilege for me to be a part of this community and just to be with you guys. So I'm, I'm just so thankful for our church and so thankful for the body of Christ and what it does. Um, we're in Hebrews 12. Here's the big idea. The author so far has really been trying to encourage believers who are getting tired. They're exhausted. They're worn out. There's abuse happening in the church. There's just murder happening amongst the Christians. I mean, they're being fed to lines, taken to the Colosseum. Just terrible things are happening. And the author is saying, do not lose hope. Look at all these men and women who suffered trials and temptations and difficulties, and yet they had faith, you too can join them in this hall of faith. You too can have the same faith. And here's what I want to point out, and then we'll, we'll read our text. Um, the more I read the Bible, the more I, I see this theme specifically in, this new, in the New Testament of what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, which is faith, hope, and love. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 kind of summarizes this chapter, and he says, uh, continuing these three things, faith, hope, and love. Now, here's what's interesting. We'll put this up for you. Hebrews 11 is that chapter on faith. It's like the greatest chapter on faith, the hall of faith. And it's all about faith and walking by faith and living by faith. Chapter 12 now is about hope. It's really interesting. You're going to see this idea that we now have a hope of a coming kingdom, the hope of seeing Jesus, the hope of this unshakable kingdom. Everything else will be shaken. Everything else will fall apart, but we have an unshakable kingdom. We have this hope. And then Hebrews 13 moves into love. 
loving our neighbor, loving the stranger, showing hospitality, uh, loving and respecting and honoring those over us, our leadership. So you have this theme of faith, hope, and love. And so now here we are in chapter 12, and we see this, this middle section of hope. And this is really how we've kind of uh, built the series of Hebrews. The whole point of Hebrews over and over again is Jesus is better. You love the law, Jesus is better. You love the priesthood, you love the, the sacrifices, you love Melchizedek, you love all these, these figures and shadows in the Old Testament. Jesus is better. Look to Jesus. So really the focus today is just looking to Jesus, that it's easy to get distracted. It's easy for us to miss the point. It's easy for us to get caught up right now in political conversations that are happening on social media. It's easy for, easy for us to get caught up in what's happening in our, in our world, in our life. But the author is saying, look to Jesus. Christians, do not get sidetracked with secondary, though important conversations, do not get sidetracked and make that the main thing. Look to Jesus. So let's read. It's Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read verse 1 through 4, and uh, you're going to see this theme here. Hebrews 12 verse 1. It says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. In that last part, he's saying, look at Jesus who faced the cross, faced trials, suffered brutally. Don't get discouraged. You've not yet shed your own blood. You've not yet given up your own life. He's like, don't grow weary. I just want to pray that um, God would give us endurance today and help us run this race of faith well. So let's pray over that. Father, we thank you for this chance we get to look at your word. And Jesus, we do ask that this would be more, again, more than just us learning something new. Jesus, I ask that you would um, transform us, that as we look to Jesus, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, that we would be transformed from glory to glory that as we look to Jesus, we, we would become more like Jesus. That, God, there would be a sense of endurance and strength from studying the life of Jesus. That, God, as, as the author of Hebrews is trying to encourage these believers to not give up, to not grow weary, to run well, and to look to Jesus. And, God, that is our hope today, that this year has been exhausting, that all of us are, are walking through something together and separate, something maybe personal, and so, Lord, I just ask that we would look to you personally, that we would look to you collectively, that, Jesus, you would just do something beautiful, give us endurance in this race. And, God, um, again, that this would just be more than us just doing a Bible study, but that your Holy Spirit would take your word and transform us. And, Jesus, we look to you now. We ask that you be so seen and so clear now that our hearts would look to you now in your wonderful name. Amen. Now, this might surprise you, um, but I am not the best runner. I don't have the best endurance or the best stamina. Maybe that doesn't surprise you. I think this next part will surprise you even more. About 15 years ago, I actually got certified and became a, a personal trainer. I know, I know, it's very obvious, you can tell. Um, but about 15 years ago, after high school, I got certified to, to be a trainer. And uh, 
I obviously haven't really kept up with that. Um, but uh, when I was in high school, I was, I was a pretty thin guy. I played basketball. Basketball is my world. I was like, my height's about 6'1", 160. I am not uh, 160 anymore, surprisingly, I know. But I was a pretty thin guy, and it's hard for me to gain weight back then. Now it's really easy for me to gain weight. So when I was in high school, I started taking something called Weight Max. Weight Max is something that just kind of puts on the pounds quickly. I, I don't recommend Weight Max. I'm still trying to work off Weight Max. Um, but I would take this stuff to try to gain weight as I was lifting. So I was trying to get, uh, you know, a little bit bigger. I was trying to work out more. And so I'm taking Weight Max. I'm pu- I put on about 15, 20 pounds. I weighed like 180 uh, within about six months. I went from like 160 to like 175, 180. And again, that was hard for me to put on 15 pounds then. Now it's really easy to put on 15 pounds. But anyways, uh, during that time, I was trying to get certified. I was trying to lift more. I went from running and playing basketball to now lifting, and uh, I was not in the best, I didn't have the best stamina or endurance shape. And I remember at that time, I was dating my wife, who was my girlfriend then, and I'm 18 years old, and you know, still trying to impress her in that dating stage, and she asked me to go on a bike ride with her and her two nieces and nephew. And I'm like, of course I'll go on a bike ride. And so one day, we went on this long bike ride. We're in Southern California, and at the end of the bike ride, there is this hill, uh, now, if, if you don't know what a hill is, uh, imagine the ground that's like elevated. Uh, for you Floridians, it's a trash mountain, but, um, you know, it's a little bit higher. Uh, so we're, there's a hill. And so at the end of the bike ride, I'm exhausted. I'm just tired out. And I, I see the hill ahead of me. So I'm like, I got to build momentum. So I start pedaling my bike as fast as I can because I want to get up this hill. You know, I don't want to like have to walk my bike up a hill. That would be embarrassing in my mind. So I, I pedal as fast as I can. Eventually, I get about halfway up the mountain. And I remember this so well because I, I wrote it down and I thought it was just, it just like ruined me. As I'm halfway up the mountain, my, this, my 12-year-old, now he's my nephew, but my, the 12-year-old, my, my girlfriend's nephew passes me up the hill. Right after that, my girlfriend at the time, Kimber, passed me up the hill. Then my nine-year-old niece passed me up on her bike. And right before I get to the top, my five-year-old niece passed me up on her bike, on this cute little girly bike. And so here I am just huffing and puffing, trying to get up the hill. I just watched four people pass me, the last one being five years old. And I know you're thinking, Josiah, whether or not you were lifting, like that's no excuse. I mean, you should be a five-year-old up a hill. I know, but I didn't. And, and here's the point. Here's why. I obviously wasn't training for endurance at that time. I wasn't training in stamina. I was only weightlifting and I didn't run for like months. And the point is, the author's saying, you need endurance in this race and to have endurance, you need to train the right way. So meaning you can't just, to to be ready for a long distance marathon or a long distance race, you can't just pick up one day and just run a 26 mile marathon. You have to train for it. You have to get ready for it. And so the author's saying, here's what you need to do to run this race of faith well. Obviously, and probably you've heard this, but the Christian life is so often compared to not a sprint, but a marathon. Like it's it's gonna be a while. We're not here to run really well after Jesus for six months or a year or five years. Now, I want to say this in my own life, personally, as a, as a husband, as a dad, as, as a pastor, I want to be able to play the long game. I don't want to just burn out after two years of going hard. I don't want to just burn out after 10 years. Like, how do we run this race well? How do we do this for a long time to come? How do we train for endurance? Because the point is, no Christian is allowed to spectate. There's no Christian who's allowed to just watch the runners in the race. We're not, just, we're not watching people running the Christian life. We're all runners in this race. We're all participators and running. And so I'd say, listen, Christians, for us and the author saying, to run well and to run with endurance, here's some things you need to do well to run well. If you want to run with endurance, he gives us some advice here, very practical advice to run with endurance. So stay with me. We're going to look at really four points that the author clearly lays out. The text is going to guide these points for us. And again, 
Um, it's not the most profound, but when applied, it will radically change your life. And we're going to focus more on the last point. So here, here's the idea. Number one, to run this race well, to run with endurance, listen, learn from those who've gone before you. If you want to run this race well, if I want to run this race well, it's so key that we don't just make this up as we go, that we actually learn from those who've gone before us. Look at verse 1, Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, let us, he says, or we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, therefore, now, every pastor makes this joke when you come to Hebrews 12. They go, when you see the word therefore, you've got to ask, what is there?" Therefore, <laughs> and so I'm not going to make that joke, even I just tried. But here's the idea. Whenever you do see that word, therefore, you go, what, what is it therefore? So here's the idea. He says, looking back at Hebrews 11, looking back at the hall of faith, looking back at all these men and women who had temptations and trials and difficulties, and yet they ran their race well. He goes, therefore, since we're surrounded by these great cloud of witnesses. And now here's how some take this. Some say, man, there are those in heaven, like Peter and John the Baptist are in heaven with their giant beards going, you can do it, you can run. Go Josiah, go Phil, whatever. And they're going, you can do it. All right, that's not the idea, I don't, I don't think. I don't know if those in heaven are just fixated with us on earth. I mean, they're in the presence of God. I truly believe they're just enjoying Jesus. They're enjoying his presence. I, I don't know how you would truly enjoy that if you're just fixated on the world. But regardless to say, it's not so much they are witnesses um, of us as much as they are witnesses to us. He's saying you're surrounded by great company. That if you want to run well, learn from those who've already done it. And this is just a good example in anything. If you want to excel in business or engineering or in sports, you try to learn from the best. You try to say, what did they do? What was their routine? What was their regiment? How did they work out? How did they, how did they do what they did to do it well? And he's saying, if you want to run this race of faith well, and church, this, this is so good for us. He says, learn from those who've gone before you. So the idea is, when you and I read the Bible, there, is, there are many examples for us to learn from. I mean, think about this. He's, the idea, we could do this limitlessly. If you're having family problems, you know, read about the story of Joseph. If you're going through a trial, fiery trial, read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you have a giant of a problem, read about David. Uh, ladies, if you want to know for good qualities in a man, read about Boaz. Uh, guys, if you think about trusting a woman, read about Samson. I'm kidding about the last one, sorry. Um, the idea is there, I'm in trouble for that. There are many stories and examples for you and I to learn from their lives. It's not just like the Old Testament's too big and overwhelming. I don't know where to start. I just stay in the New Testament. You know, I've talked to many people who like, I only read the Psalms and Proverbs, and I would say you're really missing out. There's so much there. Paul in Romans 15 said it this way. He said, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Hear that again. Whatever was written before was written for our learning. It was written for us, that we, through the scriptures, might have patience, might have hope, might have comfort. Here's the big idea, church. I think right now we need patience. I need patience in the middle of this pandemic. I feel like I've been patient, but I probably haven't been. I need to be comforted. I need hope. And Paul says, listen, the scriptures are there for patience, for comfort, for hope, for encouragement. If you right now hear the Old Testament and you're like, where do I begin? How did I do that? There are phenomenal Bible reading plans. My personal style is I like to always be in one New Testament book, one Old Testament book, and usually the Psalms. 
That's personally for me how I try to, to do that. But I would say this, um, you're missing out right now if you're not looking at these different stories, how they point to Jesus, how they speak of Jesus, how they teach us and give us comfort and peace and hope. This is what the author is saying. Listen, not even just this, but there's believers right now who are older than us, who've been walking with Jesus for a long time. We have a lot to learn from them. They're believers who are maybe newer to the faith that we have a lot to learn from. I mentioned David at the beginning. David and I, the guy who attended our church, we had some of the best conversations and he wanted to run and finish his race well. And when it comes to family, when it comes to loving your family, when it comes to just that hope and peace of, I just want to see Jesus and be with Jesus, my, those conversations I, I, I learned and gleaned a lot from. My point is we need to learn from those who've gone before us. We need to look at their faith and say, wow, that's the faith I want. Look at their faith and say, I need that in my family, in my life. I need to learn that now. Not later, not one day I'll learn it. Not when I'm going through a hard time, I'll learn it, but learn it now. If we want to run well, we got to learn from those who've gone before us. The author is using stories of faith to build faith. And I want us to hear that. He's using stories of faith to build faith. And when you read biographies of, of men and women who took steps and risks of, and of faith, it builds your own faith. It just does something. And so he's using stories to build faith. And I would say, know your Bible, read your Bible, learn. Don't just read Hebrews 11 one time and be like, I'm sure that was pretty good. Like go back and, and study it exhaustively and, and watch God do something to your heart where you go, I'm not the first generation who's gone through a trial. I'm not the first generation who suffered in this way. There've been so many men and women who've gone before us who've suffered and done it really well. Learn from those. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Number two is this, um, lay aside every weight. How do I run well? Lay aside every weight. That's the next phrase. He says, let us, let us, verse one, lay aside every weight. Now, we'll talk about the next phrase in a second, but what is a weight? A weight isn't necessarily a sin. A weight is just anything that could be holding you back in your walk with God. A weight could just be preventing you from what God has for you. And actually, please, please hear this. You know, I started like making a list of weights, and then I, I part of me is going, I don't want to like say your weight necessarily. I want you to pray, I think even at the end of service, I want to just give space and time for God to reveal what is a weight in my life. So meaning this, what's something in my life that's probably neutral? It's not necessarily a sin, but it's holding me back for what God has for me. What's that thing that God's like, I want this for you, but this is taking your time away from me. This is taking your energy away. This is taking your, your money away. This is taking your heart away because of that. This is taking you away from me. What is that weight that you go, you know, that might not necessarily be a sin, but it's just holding you back. You know, again, for some of you, it could be just so different. I think social media for me right now has been a weight. Reading people's opinions and thoughts and everything, it weighs me down. For some of you, it might be like a Netflix type of thing, a Disney Plus type of thing. Did you see what just came out? You know, a weight might not be a sin. It might be okay, but it actually might not be helping. Here, here's Paul's attitude in the scriptures. Um, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. You see, I think what's really good to ask is not, is this hurting my walk with God? You can ask that, but you could ask, is this helping my walk with God? So it's not so much, um, does this relationship, this boyfriend, this girlfriend, it's not hurting my walk with God, but fine. But that's not the right question is, is this helping and growing my walk with God? Is this thing I'm just obsessed with and giving my time and energy to, is that growing my faith or is that taking away? And so the author is saying, lay aside the weights. Now, um, do you know what, what games were happening, what sporting event were happening in this day and age? It was the Olympics. The Olympics were going on 
when the author wrote this. And if you knew anything about you know, the Greek and the, the Greco-Roman Olympic Games, runners in a race would run naked. I mean, that's how they'd run. I remember my wife and I went to Olympia, uh, where the Olympics originated, and I remember our tour guide, who's a historian, saying, yeah, all the runners r- ran right here on this track, and they would run naked. They didn't want to have any weights. And you're like, that's kind of a bizarre thing. I mean, for us today, though, think about it. When you think of swimmers, right? Like, shave their body, shave their hair. They wear Speedos. Speedos are just weird, let's be honest. If, if you don't think you're, they're weird, we got to talk. That's messed up. I mean, they're just weird, right? But why do they do that? They want to be as light as possible. They want to glide through that water. He, and here's the idea. Could they have a giant beard? Sure, I'm, I'm sure they could. I mean, could they swim in jeans? Maybe, I don't know, probably. The idea is you're not going to do that, though because it's going to hinder you from that race. The author is saying, if it's going to hinder you, let it go. If this is hurting your walk with God, lay it aside. Lay aside the weight. So again, think through this, because I don't know. I want the Holy Spirit to identify this. Maybe it's something in your life is not hurting you, but is it helping? Is it growing? And I really would take time, because even as I do this, go, God, what in my life is a weight? What is that thing that might be keeping me from what, what it is you have for me? Maybe God wants me to share the love of Christ with my neighbor or family member or just someone, but I can't because I'm just so focused on my phone and I'm looking down and I'm missing God moments all the time because all I'm doing is looking down and I'm missing the Holy Spirit prompting me and probing me saying, go speak to them. You go again, and maybe it's not a sin, but it's just a weight. It's just a weight. And I think, man, if, if we could let go of the weights, you know, you, people train with weights and they train with weight vests and they train with those things on, but no one's going to compete with a weight vest on. No one's going no to run their race with this giant 10-pound weight vest. They're going to take it off. They might train in it, but they're going to take it off for the race, and we're in the race. It's time to take off that weight. And the author's saying, you want to run well? You want to run with endurance? Christians, I think, I think we're probably missing out on amazing God moments or amazing revival moments. Not, not always because of sin, but because of just weights. Where God's like, I want to pour out my spirit. I want to, I want to show up in a prayer meeting. I want to show up in a unique way and just, like, and just give people vision and love. And we might be missing it because of weights. Number three, the author says, if you want to run this race well, he says, lay aside every sin. Look at the phrase in verse one again. He says, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Yes, lay aside the weights, but also lay aside the sin. Now that should be obvious. We're like, okay, obviously I should lay aside the sin, but maybe it's not always obvious. You know, this idea of easily ensnares us, it might even be something that you admire. It's really interesting that, that play on words, uh, easily ensnared. You think about what a snare was. A snare was a trap. A, tra- was some, a, a, a trap is something obviously you don't see. It was something that you'd stumble into and it it would take you captive. The point is there might be something now you're a slave to and it's become a sin. There might be a freedom in your life. You go, listen, I have a freedom. I have a right to drink. As a believer, I can drink. And maybe now you're enslaved to that and now it's a sin. Maybe it's, it's not just you have a cup, now it's you have two or three or four, and now it's just captivating you, and it's intoxicating you, and we know that being drunk is a sin, and you might have a right to drink, but now you're just playing with fire. And listen, there are, there are sins that just trap us, man, that like we didn't see, like I thought I was stronger than that. I never thought I'd be a slave to that, and it's like now you're a slave to that. You know, this word uh, easily ensnares in the Greek, you can look at this up, it's very interesting. It just means it's encircling you. That sin and circle, it circles you. Imagine being in the ocean, and you see a shark, and you see it circling you, and you know what's about to happen. It's about to attack me. I mean, it's trying to take my life. I mean, sin leads to death. We know that. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, but the gift of God 
is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, sin brings pain, sin brings death. I can't tell you how many times in my own life, I can't tell you how many times I've talked with people where they go, this sin took over, I felt like a slave to it, it literally ruined my thinking, my living, my life, I felt like I couldn't get out of it, I felt trapped to it, it just, it just ruled me. And it's crazy how they go, I never thought I'd end up here. I never thought it would go this far. I never thought me just flirting around would just take it this far. I never thought that, and it's just something that you go, it's not that big of a sin, but it's, it's a sin. Don't flirt with sin. Don't, I, I love the verse in Proverbs where he says, can man put fire in his lap and not be burned? Like, can you just play with fire and not get burned in the process? Of course. He's going to sin easily. It easily circles us. It ensnares us. It traps us. It attacks us. There's something about it where you go, it's obvious. I know it's a sin, but somehow it still comes out of left field. Somehow it still it takes you off guard. And he says, lay that aside. Again, for us to run this race well, to, for us to run with endurance well, he begins very simple saying, learn from those around you. Lay aside weights. Lay aside sin. Lay aside all these things. And, he, and then he, here's the key, and this is what I want to focus on more today, or last point, but I want to spend more time on this. It's number four. He says, you want to run well? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. How do you run well? What is the goal? Where's the finish line? I guess if you could say, like, what are you looking to as you run? He says, look to Jesus. In the middle or end of verse one, he says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Listen to this. Look to Jesus. He says, run with endurance this race. All right, this word race, circle that in your Bible because I find it really fascinating. It's this word agnon or agon, sorry. And the idea is it comes to the word agonize. He says, let us run this agon. Let us run this race that's agonizing. Um, I don't know if you've felt this yet, but the Christian life is hard. Like, it's hard. Following Jesus at times will be extremely difficult. The word is agonizing. He says, run your race because it's going to be agonizing. It's going to be painful. Like, running and following after Jesus, you guys, is, is not always going to be easy. There's going to be moments you're going to feel alone, isolated, like my beliefs are so counter the world's beliefs, and can anyone really accept me? And there might be times where you're mocked for that, belittled for that at work, at life. And, and listen, this race is agonizing. He says, so you need endurance. I mean, this is going to be really hard. You know, you think about the times when you're running for a while, and it's been a while since I probably felt this, but when you're running for a long time and you have that sharp pain, you're like, ugh, and you want to stop, and it's like, no, no, it's gonna, you're going to have that. Push through that. There's going to be times in your, in your Christian life, you're running and you have that pain in your side and you're going, but you've got to push through. You need endurance. And that's kind of the key, which is he's saying to run this race well, you need endurance. Okay, so what is this idea of endurance? This word endurance we've talked about before. It's this Greek word that it, it's, it's pronounced hupomone. All right, if you want hupomone, you can write that down. Hupomone just means to remain under. And, and I love the idea. He's saying remain under this race that's agonizing. Like don't try to get out of it. We as Christians are guilty to go, church is hard, I'll find a new one. Relationships are hard, I'll get a new one. Marriage is hard, I'll get a new one. We're really prone to just calling it quits. Hey, life should be about me and my fulfillment, my pleasure, my joy. So when it's not about that, I'm out of here. And that's wrong. I think we believe and fall into that trap and that lie of if this is hard, if this is difficult, it must not be from God. If I'm not having pleasure and joy in this moment, in this relationship, in this whatever, fill, fill in that blank, it must not be from the Lord, and that is not the case. We're told to remain under that race, which is agon, which is agonizing. 
to remain under it. Don't just seek to get out of it. There's something when, again, you are weightlifting or training or whatever it is, you gotta push through the pain to grow. You gotta push through the, the pain to get stronger. And he's saying, remain under it. You wanna grow, remain under it. Uh, one author, he put it this way. He says, hubomone, which does not mean the patience which sits down and accepts things, but the patience which masters them. It is a determination, unhurrying and yet undelaying, which goes steadily on and refuses to be deflected. It's not just sitting down and like, whatever, it's just gonna happen. But you're like, how do I master this moment? How do I master this pain? How do I embrace it completely? You see, this is what Paul uniquely had. If you ever read Paul's letters, even the book of Acts, Paul talked about this race that he was in and how he wanted to run his race well. He talks about how this is race he wants to compete in. He wants to win. He wants to finish 1 Corinthians 9 and 1 Timothy. Paul said this race is something he wants to fulfill with joy. And then he goes on, and I want to read this. It's in the book of Acts. Paul was about to suffer brutally. And here's what he says in Acts 20, verse 23. Paul says, The Holy Spirit testifies in every city to Paul, saying, that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I've waited to hear what he's saying. He goes, man, I'm on this journey. He's planting churches. He's making disciples. And he goes, the Holy Spirit is telling me chains and tribulations await me. Imagine you're praying and seeking God and you're like, God, what is it you want me to do in my life? And how, how am I going to do this? And the Holy Spirit's like, hey, you're going to be in chains. The Holy Spirit's telling Paul, you're going to be suffering for Jesus and the gospel. But he goes, but that doesn't move me. Knowing that I'm going to be in chains, it doesn't move me. I don't count my life dear to myself. I want to finish my race with joy. I want to testify to the gospel, the grace of God. Paul's like, that doesn't change anything. So the whole idea is, listen, you and I will suffer. You and I will go through things. You and I will have times of moments, like during COVID, where you go, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, um, I'm depressed, I miss community, I feel isolated and alone. The enemy's just shouting lies to you. And this is what the Lord's saying. He's saying, endure and run well. And you're, and you're probably thinking, how? How? And the author says, how? Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And this is really the key of Hebrews. And this is why we call this fixing our eyes upon Jesus. I mean, one translation says, fixing your eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You say, how do I run well? The main way to run well, he says, is look to Jesus. Now, please hear that. That word look means take your eyes off one thing and put it on another. Look means you might be looking right now to something, to someone, to something to give you hope or value or meaning or whatever. And he's saying, take your eyes off of that and put it on Jesus. You want to know why you're feeling the way you're feeling? You're looking at something else. Uh, think about Peter. He's on the boat with Jesus, or Jesus isn't on the boat, Jesus is on the water. But Peter's in the boat. And Peter's like, I want to walk with you on the water. And so he, Jesus invites him out. Peter's walking on water. I mean, a, a wonderful moment and experience. I'm literally walking on water with Jesus. And it says he began to sink when? When he looked at the waves and the sea when he took his eyes off of Jesus and looked at his circumstances. This is what the author is saying. He goes, when you get your eyes off of Jesus and onto something else, you begin to sink. When you begin to realize, like, when you look at the, your, your life or your moment, you go, finances, you know, our country, uh, COVID. And when you get your eyes off of Jesus and all those things, watch you begin to sink. Depression sinks in. 
Other things come into your life and start plaguing your thinking. And, and please hear me on this. I do believe now more than ever, we need to take our eyes off of the circumstances, off of social media, off of some of these things, and look to Jesus. Ephesians 1 says, looking to Jesus with the, uh, the eyes of our hearts. So obviously, I, I don't visibly see him, but the eyes of my heart are looking at Jesus, saying, Jesus, you lead me, you guide me. This is not some just vain phrase of look to Jesus. It's looking at him specifically. Now, please hear me on this. Um, Jesus, in John 3, used a story from the Old Testament to speak of himself and it was the serpent on the pole. If you guys remember, uh, there was great complaining amongst the nation of Israel. They're whining, they're complaining against God. They're saying, is this, you know, it'd be better if we're in Egypt, it'd be better for slaves. And so there are serpents, they bite people, and they're dying off. And then Moses puts a serpent, this bronze serpent, uh, on a pole. And he says, if you look to that serpent on a pole, you will live. Jesus takes that story and says, do you know what that brass serpent speaks of? And he says this in John chapter three, verse 14. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up. What does that mean? Just like the people were to look at the serpent on the pole for life, he says, look to me. So meaning, imagine you're being bit and you're about to die. And you're like, how do I survive? And you're like, well, look at the serpent on the pole. And you go, no way, that's too easy. I just look at a brass serpent and I'll live. Come on, man. And like, no, if you look to that serpent on that pole, you will live. And Jesus is saying, listen, me, I'm that person, I'm the brass serpent, you could say, uh, that speaks of sin being judged. Serpent, sin, brass judgment, sin is judged. And Jesus is saying, look to me, just like they looked at the serpent on the pole for salvation, if you look to me on the cross, you'll have salvation. Look to me. Don't just look at Jesus and like a, you know, I, I've, I've checked this out before. I was interested in Jesus at one point, but like you look to him with saving faith. You look to him like, Jesus, I trust you. I look to you. You're the only solution. You're the only one who can get me out of this. And this is what the author's saying. Look to Jesus. That word look literally means to stare, to gaze, to fix your eyes upon. It's saying, do not take your eyes off of Jesus. How much more now, more than ever in 2020, should our church community be looking to Jesus? And again, it's not that this leader will save us or this leader will save us. It's saying, look to Jesus, the only one who can save you. And again, the phrase, the look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, he's not just saying look to Jesus. He's saying, look to the champion. Look to the starter of your faith and the completer of your faith. No, it's really interesting. No one almost knows how to translate this word author. Because in the Greek, here's the word. It's this archegos, archegos. And the idea is like arch ego. And like, what is that? Um, this was like a word used to describe with maybe in Greek and Roman mythology, the idea was there will be a champion who will come on your behalf. And the idea a lot of times was to defeat that dragon or, or to take on the poison or to get rid of that thing so you can live. There's this arch ego, this archegos. The, the idea was the author saying, Look to Jesus as this champion, the one who will be your substitute, the one who will fight on your behalf, the one who started your faith and will finish your faith. You know, the problem with a lot of, or really with every with world religions is they will tell you how to start your faith. Hey, pray this many times a day, go on this journey, visit these sites, go to these places. They will tell you how to start your faith, but they can never finish your faith. You have to finish your faith. You start it, you finish it. Jesus is the author and the completer. Jesus says, I started it for you and I'll finish it for you. It's Philippians 1, but it's he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus began the work and he will complete the work. He's the author, he's the finisher. And he's saying, how do you run with endurance? Look to the only one who could be your champion. The only one who could fight on your behalf. 
the only one who could take your place, the only one who could absorb the wrath of God and absorb the sin and punishment that, the, that that brings, look to the one who started it and, and finishes it. Take your, don't take your eyes off of him. Fix your eyes on him. Again, church, I, I, I think this is like a prophetic word that I think right now I want to get, my heart is tempted to get sidetracked. My heart is tempted to get caught up in other diff- conversations. And I think the Lord is saying, you fix your eyes on Jesus, nothing else. Of course, there's conversations that need to happen. Of course, there's topics that need to be addressed. But as you do that, you're doing it from the center point of Jesus is my starting point, my focal point, my only point, my finishing point. I'm looking to Jesus. He started my faith. He'll finish my faith. Everything else is secondary. That Jesus is the one. I want to approach these tough conversations with Jesus in mind. And and here's the idea. The author goes on because it's not just he started and finished, but listen to what it says about Jesus. Jesus is our great savior and he's saying Jesus is our great example of how to endure. He doesn't just save you. Of course he does. That's the best part. But you want to know how to endure? Look to Jesus. It goes on to say this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed, striving against sin. What is he saying here? He's saying, don't grow weary in in, in your walk with the Lord. Look to Jesus, how he endured. You have not yet shed your blood, is what he's saying. You have not yet given up your life yet. And there are those who have. But the people he's writing to, he's saying, you need to endure. Jesus gave up his blood. Jesus endured the cross. Jesus despised the shame of it but he endured it. And, and, and this is something we've got to talk about. He endured, the, Jesus endured a lot. When you say he endured the cross, like we can't downplay that. Jesus went through the most horrific, disgusting way a human could die. I mean, the Persians invented crucifixion 500 years before the life of Jesus. The Romans took that and perfected it. And, and they were like masters. They were like artists when it came to killing. When it came to torching a human, and when it came to killing a human, I mean, Jesus, before he was even on the cross, he was scourged. I mean, he was whipped with a cat of nine tails. They would do it maybe 39 times because they found out that about 40, after 40 whips, you would die. And Jesus was scourged, being whipped with this whip that had balls and, and glass and metal on it, and it just whip your back and tenderize it as well as it rip apart your flesh. He endured that. He's pierced on the cross. His hands, his feet, a crown of thorns placed on his head. I mean, he's saying, listen, look to Jesus who endured all of that. I mean, you think about crucifixion. There's something about thinking about it because I don't know if we say Jesus died on the cross for our sins so flippantly sometimes. Well, he died on the cross for your sins. And I don't think we realize the weight of that, the pain of that, the exhaustion of that, the shame of that, the shame of being just ripped apart in front of everyone mocked by everyone, being spat at, punched on, your clothes torn off, naked, hanging on the cross. Since he despised the shame. I mean, it's incredibly shameful, that moment. And he's saying, and look how he endured. See, you guys, we're going to face a lot of different types of trials. It might be personal, it might be moral, it might be from the outside world, it might be internal. And he's saying, you need endurance, look to Jesus. You know, I, you guys know this. There's, there's a shame, in a sense, of being a Christian sometimes where people want to mock you, belittle you, humiliate you, tear apart what you and I believe and, and, and stereotype you, call you names, and, and, and it's a way to dismiss you and endure that. We see Jesus endured all of that. 
uh, you know, I was reading some quotes from different authors and what they said about Christians and about our faith. Maybe you've heard these guys like Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins. Here's something of the things they said. Sam Harris said, the problem with religion is that it allows people to believe in mass what only idiots or lunatics could believe in isolation. Christopher Hitchens says, religion should be treated with ridicule, hatred, and contempt. Richard Dawkins would go on to say, um, if you teach your child about God, you should be put in jail for child abuse. I mean, there are people who look at our faith and our belief in God and they're going, you should, you should hate them. You should literally treat them terribly. And I think people have latched onto that and that the church sees that in different ways. It might be different in the East than it is in the West, but we'll see that played out in different ways. And, and here's what I'm saying. Jesus told us this would happen. Jesus said in John 15, he says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. They would love you. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus is like, listen, the world hates me. It's going to hate you. If you're loved by the world, it's probably because you are of the world. If your life looks different and counter to the world's, they're not going to like that. When Christians say, you know, our life, our decisions, our morality, we love you, we embrace you, you know, we care for you, but our, our lives can look different. He's like, don't expect to be accepted by them. Expect to be rejected by them. And the author of Hebrews picks up on this and says, and listen, he endured all of that you too can endure. He went through hostility and shame and torture. And Jesus is that example of endurance. And, and so here's the idea. Jesus is an example, but he's more than that. We look to him as our example, but we look to him for, sa- for our salvation. We look to him for, to, to find that source of meaning, to find that source of value, to find how can I pass from death to life? How can I be forgiven of my sins? Jesus. And he's saying, look to Jesus, man. He started your faith. He will finish your faith. And here's the key. And I, and I love that the author says, you want to know how Jesus endured? For the joy that was set before him. I mean, let's just talk about that. For the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. So you say, what kept Jesus on the cross? Was it the nails? No. What was set before Jesus? What was something Jesus did not have before the cross, but he had after the cross? And that was you, that was me. That you and I were dead in our sins. You and I were called, according to scriptures, enemies of God. And Jesus, what kept him on that cross? The joy that was set before him. That was, I want to be with you. I know that through my suffering, through my death, through my resurrection, you can now be reconciled to me. The joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. That is one of the most mind-blowing statements of the New Testament saying, you want to know know the joy that Jesus had, how he endured the cross, he thought of you. That the thought of us being with us, being reconciled with us and God, that's what kept him enduring. The West means in the garden saying, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he goes, you know what? This is gonna be a suffering, brutal battle, but I'm here to submit my will to your will. Why? Because the only way that we can be reconciled to God is for the wrath of God to be poured out either on us or on him. And God absorbed the wrath so we can be reconciled to God. God took the the judgment for my sin, the things I've done, the terrible things I've said and done and thought, Jesus absorbed that. And now we can have a relationship with God. And because of the joy that one day earth can be reconciled to God, mankind can be reconciled to God. That's how Jesus endured the joy that was set before him. And the author is saying, the joy that's set before you, you can endure whatever. If Jesus can endure the cross because of he thought of you, then you can endure your moment, your circumstances, because the joy that's set before you. Listen, the joy that's set before us, I think is far greater. You know, you think about like, what did Jesus win? He won me, a messed up, sinful dude. He won me. What do I win? I win him. 
I mean, I want an eternal, loving God who just wants to love us as a father would love his kids, who just wants to pour out blessing upon us, who wants us to walk in the new city, the new Jerusalem, to have fullness of joy, and at his right hands are pleasures forevermore. God's like, I, what I, when I, think, I think I won a lot more than he won, but I love it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured. And you know, you guys, he's, he's saying, hey, Christians, don't give up. What's the joy set before you? And as we walk through Hebrews 12, he's basically going to point out and say, it's this coming kingdom that cannot be shaken. He's going to say, God's going to discipline you, and that's because he loves you. And there's a coming kingdom to come, and we're going to see really how this fits into the greater text. But the point of the author is saying, do not take your eyes off of Jesus. If you want to endure, look to him. How did he endure? The joy set before him and the joy you and I have set before us is far greater of this coming kingdom that will not be moved, that will not be shaken, that will never fade away. And we have a coming joy, a coming kingdom that is far greater. So church, please hear this. Here's why I'm, I'm sharing all of this. This is not to be like, wow, that was interesting today. It's, that's not the point. I really do believe that I want to give you some time right now where you can examine and say, God, is there weight in my life that you're asking me to lay aside? You know, that's why the Bible talks about fasting. There might be something where you're, you're, people fast from food, not just to feel really hungry and like be miserable all day. The idea is you're trying to train your body and saying, hey, you don't have control over me. I have control over you. When you're, when you're fasting, your body says, feed me, feed me. You say, no, 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 no I'm not going to feed you. You don't, you don't run me. You don't rule me. And the idea is maybe the Lord's asking you to lay aside a weight because it's ruling you. It's running your life. It's taking your time. It's taking your attention. It's making you a bad witness to someone else. Or it's maybe, maybe, just, maybe it's just making you lazy and not get in the race. Maybe you're not participating in this race because it's just, there's just a weight or a sin. So here's all I want to do. I want to give just space. I'm going to be quiet for a few seconds, and I'm going to ask that. Right now, you pray this prayer. Jesus, reveal to me any weight in my life. Reveal to me any sin in my life. And Lord, I promise to lay it down. You know, there's a side of it where you go, God, I want my yes to be my yes, my no to be my no. If you can't promise that, don't promise that. But I'd say pray and say, God, if there's a weight in my life, reveal that. And there, there probably is something and then you ask the Lord, how long? Or what does this look like? And, or God, you know, I'll do it as long as you say. But I would just say, give God, give the Holy Spirit just a time to search you, to examine you, to say, listen, I want you to run this race well. I want to redeem South Florida. I want to redeem the world. I need Christians who are all in. I need Christians who are looking to Jesus. I need Christians who are not getting sidetracked and caught up in all the debate and all the talk and just focus on the gospel. Because you know what? No politician could ever save us. No form of government could ever save us. That we need Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords on the throne of our lives, on the throne of our world. And that's what we want to be. We want to be those who are bringers of the kingdom. Those who say the gospel is more important than my personal view. I'm going to advance the gospel. And so I'd say, look to Jesus right now. Give him space. Give him time. Lay aside anything that might be hindering you from the gospel going out. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to ask that you pray over that. I'll pray over that. Then I'll just, I'll just close out our time in prayer.